You are listening to the Long Hollow Podcast. For more information on Long Hollow or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.longhollow.com. Good morning. This is our final sermon through the book of Daniel. And today we're gonna learn a secret to Daniel's prayer life that I think will be helpful for all of us. And that is, I want us to have gratitude for trials that come in life. I wanna teach us how to have gratitude in the midst of trial. Anybody ever been in the trial before? Anybody in one right now? You'd say, hey, I'm right there. Have you ever heard of something called the pack mentality? I was doing some research this week about that and I realized that that has affected me personally. It's the idea that uh, you will adopt the attitude and the actions of the peers you hang out with or the people you kind of run with or the circles you hang with. And uh, I know this when I was in the drug world and addicted to drugs, I had a negative attitude. I was always depressed. I was down because of the people I hung with. Then when I became a believer, I started to hang with Christians and I adopted a different attitude. Now we all know it's a whole lot easier to have a Christ-like attitude at church than it is when you're at home or at work. Anybody struggle with that, right? So we know that. You know, this week we talked to some uh, young 20, uh, early 20-year-old men and women and we polled them to ask why they left the church that they grew up in. Why did they, as an early child or even a teenager, go to church and now they've turned their back and don't go back to church? And some of the responses were fascinating. But one girl said this, she was in her 20s. She said, the reason I don't go to church anymore is because my parents acted one way on Sunday and came home and abused us Monday through Saturday. If that's what church is, I don't want it. You know the main reason pastors' children fall away from the church and never return when they get out the house? They would say the number one reason is mom and dad acted a certain way in front of people and they were negative and overbearing and domineering at home. And they said, if that's what church is and that's what Jesus is about, then I don't want it. Let let me ask you personally, are you the same person at church and at home? Are you the same person at private, in private around your family as you are in public around the people of God? Because what we're gonna learn today is that Daniel was a man who had something called authentic faith. This is a man who lived the same way regardless of whether he was on a platform before the king or whether he was in private in prayer in his room. And I'm gonna show us today the secret to Daniel's life. Now, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter six. Daniel chapter six. And as you're turning, let me give you a little history lesson of what has happened in the last three chapters. From Daniel three to Daniel six, 60 years have passed, basically. King Nebuchadnezzar has been dethroned, his family has been killed, and the Medes and the Persians have come in and destroyed Babylon. They're now controlling the country, uh, and uh, a guy named King Darius is in control. Darius doesn't want to upset the apple cart. He wants to keep kind of an equilibrium among the community. So he keeps a lot of the wise men in power, including Daniel, to kind of keep the community together. But some of the government officials realize the favor of God upon Daniel, and they're naturally jealous. They're naturally jealous of this man who's living for the Lord. And this is where we find ourselves in the story. They are trying to start a coup to remove Daniel because they're jealous of him. Daniel chapter 6, verse 4 is where we are. Uh, We like to say word at Long Hollow. We know the word changes our life. So if you're there, you could say word. Word. Amen. The word of the Lord. 
the administrators and the satraps, these are government officials, therefore kept trying to find a charge against Daniel regarding the kingdom, but they could find no charge or corruption for he was trustworthy and no negligence or corruption was found in him. Then the men said, we will never find any charge against this Daniel unless we find something against him concerning the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went together to the king and said to him, may King Darius live forever. All the administrators of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the advisors, and the governors have all agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce that edict that for 30 days, anyone who petitions any God or a man except you, the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went back into his house and he talked negative about the king and wept. Is that what he said? That was it. No, that's not what he does. Watch what he does. That's what he does. That was me. The, the windows in the upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day he got down on his knees, prayed, and gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. I love that line, just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. I wanna give you one insight about Daniel's life that really is the hallmark of his faith, and that is this. Our faith is always personal, but it's never private. Let's say it again. Our faith is always personal, but it's never private. Darius issues a law which basically makes him God. He says, for 30 days, you can't pray to anyone or any God but me. And basically, if you don't follow it, you're gonna get in trouble. And Daniel knows this. Daniel knows that he is risking life and death to pray, and yet, what does he do? The text says he continues to pray. Daniel knows that there is a cost to praying. Now, against popular opinion of VBS pictures and coloring sheets that we give kids all throughout churches in America. Guess how old Daniel is? And I'll give you a hint. He's not a teenager anymore. He's not a teenager. Daniel, believe it or not, when he's thrown into the lion's den, this is gonna catch some of you off guard, he's actually into his 80s. Did you know that? He's in his 80s. He's an older man. I mean, you have to believe if you were there, you'd say, Dan, listen, man, what, what, why make a fuss, man? You're like one step away from going into the Babylonian senior citizens home. I mean, just, just ride this train to the end, bro. I mean, you're almost there. Why make a fuss? Close your mouth, close the door, just mimic the words with your mouth. Don't even make a fuss and just ride that train to the end. Why in the world are you gonna keep praying? And here's why. Dan Daniel was a man who would never change his practice with the changing culture around him. Daniel knew the culture was gonna change, but he was disciplined to pray to God. Now, when we mention Daniel, naturally our minds go to the lion's den, right? Which is part of his story, obviously. But what I found fascinating this week is that up to the lion's den, when he's thrown in the lion's den, there are 153 verses that pertain to the life of Daniel up to that point. Guess how many verses talk about his time in the lion's den. Fascinating. Zero. Zero. 
But we like to talk about the courage of Daniel to endure the lion's den. And man, what a great man of just faith of God to go into the pit. And uh, the real courage of Daniel, I want to submit to you, did not happen in the lion's den. It actually came before the lion's den. See, Daniel was a man who exemplified faith in God for years and years and years, and he prayed even though it meant death. See, the challenge for us as Christians, we all want God to do some miraculous, impossible work in our life that we could tell, man, this is God just miraculously moved in our life. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we wanna tell our friends this sensational redemptive story of how God stepped in and, and, and took us from the pit of hell and raised us up, and there's nothing wrong with that. But here's the fact of the matter. Many Christians will never have that kind of story. And the reason is this, because you won't demonstrate faith in the lion's den because you haven't displayed faith in your everyday life. See, in order to stand in the lion's den, you have to stand in everyday life and be faithful to the Lord. And I wanna show you this line at the end of Daniel's life, verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went into the house. The windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem and there three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, gave thanks to God, just, watch this, as he had done before. What does that mean? That means Daniel had a day on his day planner planned every day. He had a time on his Google calendar. I mean, it was on his calendar. He had an alarm set three times a day to remind him to worship God. And here's the interesting thing, I want you to get this. Daniel would rather put himself on the altar of God in worship rather than altering his plans to worship a false king. What does that mean for us today? Long hollow, listen. There is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost to that. In fact, Paul said it this way, all who desire to live a godly life will suffer what? Persecution, that's what Paul says. Jesus said it this way, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He said, you're blessed when others revile you and insult you and speak every kind of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, I love this, for great is your reward in heaven. So what Jesus is saying is, every time someone attacks you for him, you have a reward in heaven. I heard of a group of evangelists who used to go out into tough cities all over the country and they would share the gospel and they wouldn't have a lot of success of people saying a prayer or turning their life over to Christ but it didn't deter them because at the end of every time of sharing the gospel, when people would say no or harm them or attack them or say things about them, they would gather together in a circle and they would say, cha-ching, another reward in heaven, right? I don't know theologically what you do with that, but I do know that, that it changes our, our mindset, right? And one of the things I want you to realize is this, if we practice our religion in silence and in secret, we will be tolerated by the world. But the moment we step out in public and we are open with our faith, the fury of an intolerant world that demands tolerance will come against us. Friends, our faith was never meant to be silent or secret. 
In fact, Jesus said it this way. He said, no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket in a house. And in fact, what they do is they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. I'm gonna meddle for just a moment if it's okay. Is that okay? But I wanna meddle for a moment because I want you to get this. Some of us as Christians get so upset when the world criticizes us for what we believe. But guess what? Jesus actually said that would happen. So instead of getting upset, we should expect to be attacked or persecuted by the world. Some of us just lose our mind when we are not tolerated for our comments or our beliefs or our our stances and we get upset about that. Listen, welcome to the world of following Jesus, amen? I mean, that's what Jesus said. Is it no surprise to us that a secular world calls Christians bigots? You know what a bigot is? A bigot is someone who does not tolerate someone else's beliefs. And yet the secular world calls Christians bigots when in fact they extend bigotry to us for not tolerating their own beliefs. Isn't that fascinating? Jesus said they would do this to us. Don't be surprised when a world that demands tolerance is intolerant of those who are not tolerant of their beliefs. See, Daniel understood that this was the world in which he lived in. In fact, if you aren't being persecuted, you may not be publicly professing and standing for your faith, right? Because Paul said, all who desire to live a what? Godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Now, here's the question. What do we do when we're persecuted? How do we respond when trials come our way? Daniel's gonna give us the secret, I believe, to his entire life, and that's this. I want you to write this down. Our mindset changes the moment. I want you to get this. Our mindset changes the moment. There's one line in here that jumped off the page this week when I was studying, and I wanna show it to you. Verse 10. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed... He went into the house, the windows in its upstairs room opened toward Jerusalem, and three times a day, he got down on his knees, prayed, underline it, here it is, gave thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel petitioning and imploring his God. So they approached the king and asked him about his edict. Didn't you sign an edict that for 30 days, any person who petitions any God or man except you, the king will be thrown into the lion's den. Now, you gotta think about this. 30 days, one month, I mean, that's nothing. Like, Daniel, just, just close the windows, man, right? Just shut the doors. Just go into it. In fact, you don't even have to do that. Just slide on your devotional time with God for a month, right? I mean, just don't read your Bible. Just don't quote scripture. Just don't worship. Some of you are saying, praise God, I'd never get thrown in jail because I hadn't read my Bible in 30 days anyway. <laughs> That's a joke. Too close to home. But anyway, let's be honest, right? I mean, let's be honest. Some of you are like, man, I'm slipped on my prayer life for 30 days. It's been, it's been a month. But that's what happens at times, Right? There's ebbs and flows for all of us where you're all into reading and sometimes you you slack. You're all into praying and sometimes you slack. But that was not Daniel. Daniel was a man that whenever times got difficult, I wanna show you, he goes into the prayer closet. 
Whenever times are overwhelming, it says he prays as he always has prayed before, just as he has done before. And so the question I wanna ask you is this, what do you do when times get tough? Where do you go? See, Daniel knew a secret I want us to get, and that is this. Daniel knew that before he could stand before men, he had to to kneel before God. Daniel knew that before he could stand before men, he had to kneel before God. Prayer wasn't just a knee-jerk reaction. It wasn't just a habit for Daniel. This wasn't something he did when he got in trouble. This was the pattern of his life. In fact, it goes back to chapter one. In chapter one, when Daniel was forced to eat food and drink wine that was prohibited by God, he prayed to God. In chapter two, when Nebuchadnezzar is gonna kill the, the wise men, I believe Daniel prayed to God on their behalf. And Daniel chapter three, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are thrown into the fire and forced to bow down before this false image, I believe Daniel prayed again. And here we are 65 years later. I, I believe his whole life was a life of prayer. This is a man who the pattern of his life, not a knee-jerk response, was a life of prayer. Friends, where do you go when life gets tough? Do you go online? Do you go to friends? Do you go to websites? When times got tough, Daniel went to prayer. Now, but here's the key. He didn't just pray a laundry list of things like, God, if you do this, and if you don't do this, and if you change this, and you get this new king and power. He didn't do that, I believe. He may have done some of that, but this is what he did. The Bible says when he prayed, he prayed with one word that made the difference that was all the difference. Here it is. Write this down. It's the word gratitude. I want you to get this. Gratitude. The king just said, you're done. You're going into the lion's den. And it says immediately he goes back to his room and he prays with gratitude to the Lord. What he did was, I believe he tried to find something that he could be grateful for. He looked at the trial of his life and the outlook of the future and he found something that he could thank God for. And here's the principle, write this down. Input changes outlook and outlook changes behavior. It's a big line I want you to get. It's a big principle. We've been, been driving this in the heads of my boys at home recently. Input changes outlook. Whatever you put in here, good or bad, whatever you put in here is gonna come out to God or to other, change your outlook, which ultimately changes your behavior. And one of the ways we change that is with gratitude. So for example, think about this. If you're negative all the time and you're worrying all the time and you're fearful all the time and it clouds your prayers and your mind, then naturally you're gonna be paralyzed and crippled. But if you're thankful all the time and you have gratitude all the time, then naturally it's going to empower you in your prayers and in your mind. Now Paul knew the secret. Philippians 4.4, remember Paul writes this. Rejoice in the Lord, you remember this, always, and again I say what? You know what the word always means? Means all the time, right, always. Rejoice in the Lord always. Now, what you'll find fascinating is Paul is writing Philippians from a jail cell. Rejoice in the Lord always, like I'm doing in this prison cell, and again I say rejoice. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse 18, give thanks in everything. What is everything? That's everything, right? For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for your life. Friends, if you can get this, it changes everything. Gratitude is kryptonite to worry, fear, negativity, anxiety. 
Here's what I found. A person with an increasingly grateful heart will also have a decreasingly complaining mouth and negative mind. A person with a grateful heart will be less negative in their mind and less critical in their heart. When you pray with gratitude, it actually changes you. In fact, the neuroscience uh, has proven this. There are new neuroscientists who have just recently come out and shown that there are actually benefits to, to, to being grateful. It actually changes the, the pathways and the plasticity of the brain. In fact, you can search this online. Here's a couple of things gratitude does. Psychologically, you're going to have a positive attitude, and it's going to enhance your mood, just being grateful for something. Who knew? Socially, you'll have more empathy for others and you'll have stronger relationships with people. And then physically, this is fascinating, you'll have a stronger immune system and less pain in life. Now, I started to study this. I decided to do this in our home. I don't know if you have any children in the home who are always criticizing others and have been given by God the gift of constructive criticism for their siblings, but we do, okay? You know, he's dumb. No, he's stupid. He's an idiot. Okay, so, I mean, you know, or I can't do this, or I'm no good, or I'm not as good as, and they have, so what well, we started, and I'm just telling you parents, this has been, if you say, what's the number one thing that's changed our home recently, this is it. So I've implemented a no negative rule in the Gallaty house, and Candy will tell you, there's a no negative rule, and here's what it means. If Rig or Ryder say something negative about the brother, or negative about themselves, this is the big one, then you lose 15 minutes of screen time. Now you may say 15 minutes is not a lot. Well, in football season right now, they only get an hour. So 15 minutes is 25% of their time. It's a big deal. So the other day, he's like, man, I'm not as good. 15 minutes, you lost it. No, that's because Ryder's stupid. 30 minutes, you lost it. I mean, that's what's happening. I'm, I'm loving every minute of it, right? And then Ryder's like, yeah, because you're dumb. 15 minutes, you know? So now, I mean, it just happens in the hall. But this is the reality of it. When you change the, int the talk in your head, it changes everything. Here, here's another sidebar here. The greatest dialogue you're going to have every day is the dialogue you have with yourself. 50,000 thoughts on average is what you have a day. And sadly, many of you have mostly negative thoughts about yourself and other people. I, I dare you to do this. Try this at home with your children this week. Try this at home with yourself. Here's the challenge. For the next seven days, write this down. I want you, before you get out of bed or go to work or leave the house, I want you to list three things that you are grateful for. Three things. In the beginning, it'll be easy. Grateful I'm alive. I'm grateful for breath. I'm grateful for my family. Well, by day five or six, you're going to have to think more and pray more about what you're grateful for. And the reason I want you to do that is this, and I told our boys this, we have enough negative influences outside of the home coming at us, and we have enough negative influences outside the church coming at our church family. The last thing we need to be doing is putting down ourselves, amen? We live in a day and age where the, day and age where the world is against us, the culture is against us. And so let us stop putting, listen to me, brothers and sisters down in Christ on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on hip Hendersonville. Did I just say that? <laughs> For the love of God, get off of that site, I promise you. It'll do your body better. And for those of you who don't know, praise God. Listen to me, if you have a problem with me, I want you to hear this. If you have a problem with me, if you have a problem with our staff, if you have a problem with, with our church, I promise you, venting online is not God honoring, amen? 
Y'all with me? Everybody with me? Okay. You can come to me. I promise you. You can talk to me and, and you can share it with me. See, we're supposed to be Christians on the battlefield against a common enemy, shoulder to shoulder battling. But what's happened with the church is because we're not battling on the front lines, we're back in the barracks face to face shooting one another with friendly fire. And we wonder why the church is in the state it's in today. So here's what you need to leave with, and I want you to get this. Life is going to give you a thousand reasons to be upset. You only need one to be grateful. You only need one. Gratitude won't save you from the lion's den, but it'll change your attitude when you're in it. And here's the principle I want you to get. Write this down. Gratitude changes attitude. Gratitude changes attitude. So let me give you something to be grateful for. Today is the day the Lord has made. This is what the Bible says. Let us rejoice and be what? Glad in it. So what, what I want to do is this. I want us to confess, because I know in a group this size, if you're like me, you sometimes have this negative narrative in your head of just being ungrateful or not appreciative or not thankful. And I just want us to confess that to the Lord right now. So I, I want us to just bow before the Lord, put your stuff aside for just a moment. And I want us to just bow before the Lord. And I want you to confess, God, I've been ungrateful. Just confess, God, I've had a prayerless life. I haven't prayed like I should. I've had a negative attitude. I've had a complaining spirit about me. I just need to confess that to you. I haven't, I haven't been thankful for the things I do have. And then I want to ask you, what's something you can be grateful for today? You woke up this morning, you got out of bed. You're able to come worship with us in person or online. You have a family, you have a job, you have a house, you have a car, or maybe you don't have any of those, but you have breath and you have life and you have a God who gives second chances. Father, I'm praying right now for our church, I know that we can let the world convince us that everything is falling apart and, and the world is bad and evil. And, and yet, God, we serve a God who is still commander in chief and still in control of all things. And you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And God, I pray today for us in this room, as we confess our prayerlessness, our negative attitude, our critical spirit, we confess that to you. God, I pray for those in here who would say, I don't have a personal relationship with Jesus, much less a public relationship. And I want that. And so if that's you, if you're far from God and you miss the presence of God, would you just confess that that you need Jesus. You acknowledge that you've done some things against his word and his ways and, and that you realize Jesus is the only one who can save you from that, from your sin. 
And would you ask God to fill you with his Holy Spirit right now? Father, for believers in this room, we're grateful you saved us when we weren't looking for you, weren't seeking after you, you came looking for us and we are grateful for that. And I just pray, God, we realize that gratitude changes attitude. And so as we sing in just a moment and and we mouth the words of this song that we know, God, that we would have an attitude of gratitude. Hallelujah means to praise you. And we want to praise you because you are worthy to be praised. We ask it in the only name we know how. And that's the strong and powerful name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said,